This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is Steve. Hey, Steve, it's Mary Harris at Slate. How are you? Hey, Mary, how you doing? Steve Kornacki has been called the king of lickety-split political data analysis. You can usually find him swiping through a big flat screen on MSNBC. So when Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz set off a social media firestorm by dipping his toes in the 2020 presidential race, I thought, Steve will know what to make of it. Um, did you watch the heckling video last night? Yeah, I was, I was on late last night, so we um, saw the clip of it, yeah. What I said last night is that I am seriously considering running for president as a centrist independent. If you haven't seen this tape, it shows Howard Schultz on a stage with the journalist Andrew Ross Sorkin trying to explain why he's considering running as a third-party presidential candidate. Which I view merely as a designation on the ballot. And that's when a man standing at the back of the crowd just starts ripping into him. And what, Don't help elect Trump! You egotistical billionaire It's your sort of, you know, Barnes & Noble, New York City book event. You're sort of at the heart of, um, uh, what do you call it, resistance culture. Go back to Davos with the other billionaire elite who think they know how to run the world. We're going to get to that idea and that sentiment in just a minute uh, because there is a lot on Twitter. The 2020 presidential field is getting crowded. They're the big names, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand. Then there are the wild cards, like the spiritual guru, Marianne Williamson. She announced she was running as a Democrat earlier this week. But part of what's making people so upset about Howard Schultz is that by running as an independent, he can skip the whole weeding out process of the primary. And he's got the money to hang around. If all someone knows about Howard Schultz is that he runs Starbucks and that's where I get my coffee, is there more to him that we need to understand? Or do we just not know yet? Yeah, I mean, I think you do need a, a bigger story than that. If you look at the... Um the, the, the third party candidacies that have you know that have gotten some traction I, I I think the the best one the most encouraging modern example for somebody like Howard Schultz who might be thinking about running third party would be Ross Perot in in 1992 that guy heckling Howard Schultz at a New York City bookstore and all the people ratioing him on Twitter they're haunted by the ghosts of that 1992 election like Howard Schultz, Ross Perot ran as a billionaire and a Washington outsider. He actually got nearly 20% of the vote. Wasn't enough to win, but some say it was enough to change the outcome. So I asked Steve to put me in the backseat of his time machine and see if we could get a better idea of how one third-party candidate influenced an election and what that might say about how Howard Schultz could change the outcome in 2020. Stay with us.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What happened back in 1992, it's not the perfect analogy for today, but no story would be. Ross Perot was a well-known businessman when he decided to run for office in the early 90s. Same as Howard Schultz is now. And like today, the sitting president, George H.W. Bush, was in trouble. The economy was faltering. He was worried about being implicated in the Iran-Contra affair. And what you saw in the, in the start of 1992 was that, that Bush's approval rating was plummeting. Um, a year earlier, he, he you know, led the country to victory in war, the, the, the first Gulf War, to get Saddam Hussein out of Iraq. In early 92, February 1992, Bush's approval rating falls to 39 percent. And it's in that climate that Ross Perot goes on Larry King's show, Larry King Live on CNN. Is there any scenario in which you would run for president? Can you give me a scenario in which you'd say, okay, I'm in? Well, number one, I don't want to. I know, but is number there a two, scenario? You know. King asks him a bunch of times, hey, you know, people are looking for a fix. You know, would you run for president? And finally, on, on the you know, third pass or so, Perot finally just says, If you're that serious, you, the people, are that serious? You register me in 50 states, and if you're not willing to organize and do that, then this is all just talk. Are you I'm saying, saying to the ordinary folks, if you're dead serious, start then committees I want to see Georgia. some sweat. I want to see some sweat. Why do I want to see some sweat? I said it earlier. I want you in the ring. It's amazing because you basically don't have an internet in the way we know it today. You don't have social media in the way we know it today, and yet it's this it's this sort of viral moment. That word of that moment, the the, the clip of that moment, um, you know, spreads. It spreads slower than it would now, but over the course of days, weeks, and months, this massive and a truly, truly massive grassroots movement emerges that starts getting pro on the ballot. By the spring of 92, by May, June 92, Ross Perot's running in first place in the national polls. He's ahead of George H.W. Bush. Um, Clinton is far, far behind. And, and people are contemplating the possibility that Ross Perot might actually win the presidential election, become an independent president, blow up the two parties. Of course, this worst case scenario is not what happened. Bill Clinton won his first term as president. Some have blamed Perot for Bush's failure to win re-election. But Steve disagrees, says Perot was just a symptom of Bush's ailing presidency, not the cause. Even so, Perot did manage to get almost 20 million votes. I do think the thing when Democrats look at the Ross Perot candidacy and think about Howard Schultz, what they're really seeing is someone who is able to peel off 19 percent of the vote right. and what that could mean. Yeah. I mean, so look, the, the, the Democratic argument, um, and I think it's plausible and I, I don't I don't know. But the, the Democratic argument is basically take a poll right now of Donald Trump's approval rating and you'll find probably that a majority say they disapprove of his of his handling of the job. And there was another poll I just just saw this morning, ABC News and Washington Post poll 
It says 56 percent of people say they definitely would not vote for Trump in 2020 right now. So I think Democrats just look at those numbers and they say, OK, the numbers are there to beat Trump. The, the only thing that could possibly screw it up is if those numbers get divvied up. If you got, you know, two candidates, three candidates, whatever it is, um, who are sort of competing for that, you know, I definitely won't vote for Trump vote. So from the Democratic standpoint, that's why you, know, you can't have him in the race. He could just he could only siphon off votes that would otherwise go to Trump. The other theory of it that I'm open to, and again, I think it's, it's plausible and we just don't know, is how many voters – remember we called them in 2016 the reluctant Trump voters, and they didn't like him. They didn't, they didn't want to vote for him. But in the end, they, they, they checked his name off anyway because they didn't want to have Hillary Clinton as president. They were essentially – they were voting against Hillary Clinton. They were voting against the Democratic Party. They might, might have even been voting against the system, but they checked Trump's name off even though they didn't like him, even though it's not something they wanted to do. There's a scenario I think that's it's not implausible that those same voters are kind of up for grabs in the home stretch in 2020. And if you got a guy like Howard Schultz out there, maybe in a way they weren't with Hillary Clinton – those reluctant Trump voters are willing to go and vote for Schultz. They're not willing to go all the way over and vote for a Democrat, but they're willing to abandon Trump and vote for Schultz. And in that case, maybe instead of you know, being a drain on people who, 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 um, who would otherwise vote Democratic, maybe it ends up becoming this, uh, this sort of halfway house for reluctant Trump voters, um, and it actually cuts into Trump's side. That's one of the things with these – I think the history of these third-party um, candidacies. There are assumptions about how these, these candidates are going to draw their votes. Um, that don't always fully match up with what ends up happening. I mean, Schultz has said he wants to run as an independent. He's also a billionaire. So it means he can kind of like avoid some of the checks and balances of the party system. But can we talk a little bit about what what running as an independent really means and how difficult it is? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's something as simple as ballot access. You know, every state has different... um, you know, different rules on how to just get your name on the ballot in the November election. Some of them are real easy. Some of them are very hard. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time, a lot of resources. And even these established, you know, third party, um, uh, third parties that we have in this country, like the Green Party, the Libertarian Party even, will have trouble getting on all 50 state ballots. It's not a given. It's not automatic. So just first of all, you have to do that. Now, Schultz has got a ton of money. That's going to go a long way. You know, and again, I, I, one of the other, if he does run, I think one of the other pages he'll take from Perot's book, obviously, is you tap that money for a, a very extensive advertising campaign. Um, Perot was effective with that in 92. The, the ads he ran were very different. They were different than anything anybody had really seen before um, when it came to political advertising. He took, he would buy up 30-minute blocks of network television time. He would preempt, you know, sitcoms. You know, instead of watching Major Dad one night, you'd get the Ross Perot infomercial on CBS. Good evening. Tonight we're going to talk about how to solve the problems that we defined that face our country. I think we can come to the conclusion immediately. What it did was feed this image of, hey, this guy is different. This guy, hey, there's an executive. He's sitting at the desk. He's diagnosing the problem. He's serious. All of these it created all these sort of positive associations with Perot. I imagine Schultz would would try to do something similar. There is this one hurdle that Schultz, like Perot, can't just buy away. Access to the presidential debates. The biggest single hurdle that a third-party candidacy would face just logistically is can you get in those debates? Because when you get to the fall of 2020 and you got, you know, two, three presidential debates, whatever they end up having, if you're not on stage, 
then there's just going to be a vast number of voters who are, are just going to write you off and write off a vote for you as, as a waste, because clearly you're not serious enough you know, to get into debates. Perot is a good example. Perot in 92, he dropped out of the race in the summer, got back in the race at the start of October. He was running at like 6% of the polls when he got back in the race, and people were saying, ah, Perot's a shadow of himself. It's not really going to matter. They put him in a debate anyway. Uh, the two campaigns agreed to it. He kind of stole the show at the first debate, and then, you know, the rest is history. He gets up to 20% on Election Day, best for any third-party candidate since Teddy Roosevelt in 1912. Perot runs again in 1996, does not get into debates. His vote was cut more than in half. He got about uh, – he got 7 8% in, uh, in 1996. Part of why we're still talking about Ross Perot more than 20 years later is that he had this charisma. He was known as the populist billionaire. Steve says that's another lesson for Howard Schultz, because no matter how much money you have or how many debates you do, you still need people to like you, not heckle you at Barnes & Noble. So you could spend the money as Ross Perot in 92 and you could get traction. I'm I'm not sure a generation later, if you don't have that populist touch, that the, the money is going to make that big of a difference. And especially, as I said, in the media climate's changed so much, I'm also not sure money quite matters the way it, it used to. The other part there is just this polarization and tribalism that's really taken root uh, over the last generation, where people just have these incredibly strong personal associations with, I'm part of blue America, I'm part of red America, I'm not part of blue America, I'm not part of red America. Um, and I think more and more they look at elections you know, through that lens, which, which, which just is another barrier, really, for a, for a third-party candidate. Steve had one last story for me about a third-party presidential candidate. One more reason why Democrats maybe shouldn't be so worried about 2020. Another lesson I think that, that might be worth keeping in mind about third-party candidates, too, is I, I do think voters kind of figure it out. Before Perot, if you went back to 1980, there was a guy named John Anderson who ran as an independent that year. That was Jimmy Carter was the incumbent president. Ronald Reagan was his Republican challenger. John Anderson was a liberal Republican. You, you had those back then. Um, he left the Republican Party to run as an independent. And the Carter White House, the Carter political operation, um, was panicked, petrified, because they just looked at it and they said, well, you know, hey, John Anderson, liberal Republican, he's going he's gonna to take votes from us. He's a liberal. We're the liberal. You know? and, and they waged a whole campaign that, that has some some shades of what you're seeing now about Howard Schultz, um, you know, Democrats in, in the summer and fall of 1980, um, don't waste your vote. Don't waste your vote. They had banners. They had chants. Carter himself was saying it. Mondale, his vice president, was saying it on the campaign trail. Don't waste your vote. Don't waste your vote. In the end, people got the message largely. Um, you know, Anderson had been running at around 20 percent in the polls at one point. You know, he comes all the way down to 6 percent on Election Day. When you, when you take the, uh, the exit poll and say, you know, who was your second choice, Anderson voters, it's slightly more said Carter than Reagan, but it wasn't anything like, uh, it wasn't anything like um, you know, Democrats had been fearing all year. Um, and, and, and one of the takeaways was, you know, voters looked at the choice between Carter and Reagan. They, they heard the message from Carter. They heard the message from Democrats. And, and a lot of the, the, the Democratic voters, they, they took the message and they, they stayed with Carter. It wasn't nearly enough for Carter to win. He had so, so many bigger problems, as it turned out, in 1980. But he didn't lose because of John Anderson. And the Anderson effect in 1980 ended up not being anything like, uh, uh, like Democrats feared it would be. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. No, thanks for thinking of me. Appreciate it. Yeah, take care. All right. Have a good day. 
Steve Kornacki is the author of The Red and the Blue and the national political correspondent for NBC News and MSNBC. And that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris. Our supervising producer is Mary Wilson. Our senior producer is Jason DeLeon. And our assistant producer is Anna Martin. Shout out to all of the new listeners from Stitcher, which picked What Next as a featured show this week. We are so happy to have you all. If you want to find me during the day, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. You can also see pictures of the whole crew of us over on Instagram. That's What Next Pod. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>